Hello, everyone. It's June 13th. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, and I'm your host, David McAdam. Each day we're reading the next portions of Scripture from the Old and New Testaments as we make our way through the entire 66 books of the Bible. We share the Apostle Paul's conviction that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So there's much to be gained by spending this daily half hour giving our attention to God's self-revelation in His Word. We are now in the historical books of both the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, we are reading the history of Israel, and today we are learning from the book of 1 Kings lessons from the missteps of its leader, King Solomon, and the consequential division of the kingdom. In contrast, in the New Testament, we are reading the history of the early church and its unity, and today we come to the dramatic conversion of the church's greatest persecutor, Saul of Tarsus, who will become the Apostle Paul. So let's get right to it and start with 1 Kings chapter 11, and we'll read through to chapter 12, verse 19. You probably saw it coming, but today we read of Solomon turning from the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had seven hundred wives who were princesses and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal house in Edom. For when David was in Edom, and Joab the commander of the army went up to bury the slain, he struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel remained there six months, until he had cut off every male in Edom. But Hadad fled to Egypt, together with certain Edomites of his father's servants, 
Hadad still being a little child. They set out from Midian and came to Paran and took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh king of Egypt, who gave him a house and assigned him an allowance of food and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him in marriage the sister of his own wife, the sister of Topanes the queen. And the sister of Topanes bore him Genubath his son, whom Topanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genubath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab the commander of the army was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go down to my own country. But Pharaoh said to him, What have you lacked with me that you are now seeking to go to your own country? And he said to him, Only let me depart. God also raised up as an adversary to him Rezon, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his master Hadadezer, king of Zobah. And he gathered men about him and became leader of a marauding band after the killing by David. And they went to Damascus and lived there and made him king in Damascus. He was an adversary in Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did. And he loathed Israel and reigned over Syria. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built the millow and closed up the breach of the city of David his father. The man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him, and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe, for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me, and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my rules, as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life, for the sake of David my servant whom I choose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and will give it to you, ten tribes. Yet to his son I will give one tribe, that David my servant may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you, and will walk in my ways, and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, I will be with you, and will build you a sure house, as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, 
and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, and all that he did, and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was forty years. And Solomon slept with his fathers, and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. Chapter 12 Rehoboam's Folly Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam the son of Nebat heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to see me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today, and serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him, and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs, and now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. This concludes our reading from today's portion from the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings. Now let's recap and make some observations. Solomon was the son of David, appointed to rule on his father's throne and to build the temple his father desired. He had great wisdom, honor, wealth, and power, all gifts from God. As we have seen, unlike Jesus, the greater son of David, Solomon's wisdom did not extend to his moral and spiritual life. 
Solomon did not remain humble, nor did he always put to good use what God had given him. His judgment became distorted. Those who grow in riches, fame, and power of influence can fall into self-deception, thinking that might makes right. They forget that moral and spiritual laws apply to themselves. Their transgressions reap a harvest of consequences. Many at the height of their success become blind to the moral precipices beneath their feet of clay. Jesus puts Solomon's earthly splendor into perspective as he contrasts it with the splendor of the Father's plan in the Sermon on the Mount. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothes himself like one of these. Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. The Queen of Sheba sought out Solomon for his wisdom. Jesus tells us that there is a greater wisdom that is to be found in God's wisdom, his plan of salvation. The Queen of the South will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Matthew 12, verse 42. If the Queen of Sheba was responsive to the wisdom God gave Solomon, how much more should we be responsive to the wisdom of God in giving us the greater Son of David, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior? If she was willing to give up her time and take the trouble to travel to a far country to investigate the claims made concerning Solomon, how much more should we be willing to sacrifice and come to Christ and deepen our relationship with Him? Solomon's glory is severely tarnished as his heart is turned away from the Lord. His prophetic voice disappears. His spiritual credibility is undermined. He fails to seek the Lord and do what is pleasing in his sight. Notice the declension. He treats unfairly those who had been generous towards him. In chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. He oppressed foreigners into forced labor. In chapter 9, verses 15 through 22. He violates God's law to accumulate wealth in chapter 10, verses 26 through 29, and takes foreign wives who lead him into idolatry in 1 Kings chapter 11. Notice that he does all that is forbidden in the law of Moses pertaining to kings. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. First Kings chapter 11 tells us how Solomon's heart is turned. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1-3 through 3. Solomon had exhorted the people to be wholly devoted to the Lord and keep his commands, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 61. Yet he became more devoted to his wives than to God. He disobeyed God's commands and both accommodated and entered into their idolatry. 
Solomon's example of marrying women from pagan nations set in motion a practice that would cause great problems centuries later during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. In Ezra chapter 9 verse 2, chapter 10 verses 2 and 3, and then in the book of Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 23 through 27. The Lord appears to Solomon for the last time with this sad verdict. His warnings have gone unheeded. So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. The consequences of Solomon's apostasy would be that the kingdom would be divided, with ten tribes forming the nation of Israel to the north and two tribes forming the nation of Judah in the south. The kingdom would have been torn out of his hands completely if it were not for God's previous covenant with David and his choice of Jerusalem. Solomon's golden age of peace is over. God raised up enemies against Solomon, such as Hadad, the Edomite, whose people had been killed by David's army under the command of Joab. Hadad survived, fleeing to Egypt, where he was sheltered with favor by Egypt's pharaoh. When Hadad learned that Joab is dead, he asks pharaoh's permission to leave and attack Solomon. Rezon of Aram also attacked Solomon. A servant of Solomon, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an Ephraimite, the son of Zeruah, rebelled against Solomon. Now the man Jeroboam was a valiant warrior, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 28. The prophet Ahijah encourages Jeroboam to rise against Solomon by assuring him that it was the Lord who was going to give him the ten northern kingdoms. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 29 through 39. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak which was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. He said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes. But he will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the sons of Ammon. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and observing my statutes and my ordinances, as his father David did. In 1 Kings 11, verses 30-33. Therefore Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam escapes to Egypt, where he is provided refuge until Solomon's death. Solomon dies after a 40-year reign. The northern kingdom would soon be led by Jeroboam. So due to the unfaithfulness of Solomon and the people, the promised judgment is falling upon God's covenant people with the kingdom being divided. Jeroboam will become king of the ten northern tribes, that is Israel, and Solomon's descendants will be rulers over the territories of Judah and Benjamin, to be known as the southern kingdom of Judah. The Lord promises to Jeroboam the same promises that he gave to David, with the difference that there was a shelf life to them, as God intended to establish the kingdom of the son of David forever, and Jeroboam's only for a limited time. 
He would do this for the purpose of humbling David's descendants. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 39, Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam, who flees to Egypt and remains there until Solomon's death. Out of mercy, the Lord allows Solomon to remain on the throne in Jerusalem throughout his life. But the Lord says through the prophet, I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and give it to you, even ten tribes. But to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. 1 Kings 11, verses 35-36 through 36. Solomon's successor, King Rehoboam, forsakes the counsel of the elders and gives in to the advice of his peers to be even more of a tyrant than his father. The king answered the people harshly, and he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord, that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So begins a period of approximately sixty years from the death of Solomon and the breakup of the kingdom to the corrupt reign of Ahab and the coming of the prophet Elijah. We see in the despotic reign of Solomon in his later years and the rule of Rehoboam that people often submit to tyranny rather than rise up against it. Now let's go to the New Testament reading, the book of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And this is the end of today's portion from the New Testament, the book of Acts. Let's begin by making some observations. This is the first of Luke's accounts of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. We will read it again in the book of Acts as Paul repeats his testimony on at least two other occasions in Acts chapter 22 and 26. This is another great evidence of the reality of Jesus' resurrection, the transformation of the Apostle Paul. We meet Paul as Saul of Tarsus, consenting to the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Then we see him as a prime persecutor of the church in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. He was one of those religious zealots from the synagogue that Jesus spoke about in the upper room before he was crucified. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. John chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. The conversion of Saul to Paul is one of the greatest stories in the history of the church. Damascus, a city in Syria northeast of Jerusalem, had a large Jewish population, and it is estimated that it had as many as 30 or 40 synagogues. Paul made some important discoveries that day. Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. Jesus loves his church and is so identified with believers that he says to Saul when he stops him in his tracks on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Christ is united and identified with his church. It is his body. To persecute the church is to persecute Christ. Paul discovered that he was a sinner and needed a savior. He realizes that he had been blinded and mistakenly thought that Jesus was a blasphemer and false teacher. Now he realizes Jesus is the Son of God. Saul's sin was not just that he persecuted the church, but that he was persecuting the God he thought he was serving. Paul also discovered that the church of the Lord Jesus was God's special family. Ananias is directed by the Lord to go to Saul, a known enemy of the church, and pray for him. When Ananias greets Paul, he obediently affirms the reality of Saul's adoption into the family, addressing him as Brother Saul. Paul also discovered that God had a great purpose for him. But the Lord said to him, that is Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Later in the book of Acts, when Paul is giving his testimony, he describes the Lord commissioning him, 
in Acts chapter 26, verses 16 through 18. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And now for today's reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3. This is the penultimate song of ascent. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm eloquently speaks of the benefit of humbling ourselves before the Lord. Warren Wearsby sums up David's accomplishments well. A courageous soldier, a gifted general and tactician, and a sincere man of God. It was David who defeated Israel's enemies, expanded her boundaries, and amassed the wealth that Solomon used to build the temple. He wrote nearly half of the Psalms, and though, like all of us, he was guilty of disobeying the Lord, he was always repentant and sought God's merciful forgiveness. It was for David's sake that the Lord kept the light burning in Jerusalem during the years of Judah's decay, and it was from David's line that Jesus came into this world except for a few lapses into selfishness and sin, David walked with the Lord in a humble spirit. It is true that David had a lot to be humble about. He knew he was a great sinner, but like John Newton, he could say, I have a great Savior. The opening verses remind me of the words of the Apostle Paul. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. In Romans 12, verse 3, David says in Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. David is aware of the dangers of reckless ambition. Jeremiah warns, But you, are you seeking great things for yourself? Do not seek them. For behold, I am going to bring disaster on all flesh, declares the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 45, verse 5a. We need to be content with who the Lord has made us to be, thanking Him for our portion in Christ. We need to appreciate the fact that we are a part of a story and a community of which we are not the center. David goes on to say in Psalm 131, verse 2, Surely I have composed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. The Hebrew word for wean means to complete, to ripen, to treat kindly. The English word may be a contraction of the Scottish word for a dependent babe, a wee one. We can be near our mother, but not demanding out of dissatisfaction. We are content with who we are and what we have in Christ. A spiritual child moves from constant feeding and early dependence on our spiritual parents through a process of individuation, 
recognizing one's unique gifts, calling, and portion in Christ, and then interdependence in the household of faith. Our dependence upon the Lord never ceases. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Psalm 131, verse 3. Now let's go to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. These proverbs touch upon the impact of listening to evil speech and mocking the poor or taking pleasure in the difficult circumstances of others. We're reminded that there are some people who not only speak evil of others, but love listening to those who do the same. What do you listen to? What gets your attention? We're to sympathize with those who suffer calamity rather than rejoice in their misfortune. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel, the sure mercies of David. So often we fail to give you the worship and obedience that you deserve. We are great sinners, but we have a great Savior. We thank you for Jesus. He is the eternal King who reigns in righteousness, and he has offered us riches that make Solomon's wealth look like cheap trinkets. You have attired us with the righteousness of Christ and granted us the inheritance he has attained for us. We pray that we would step into our calling with the kind of abandon that the Apostle Paul demonstrated. May you be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. We certainly have had a full Bible reading session this morning, and I hope you'll be with us tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us by writing an email to podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, or how you can support our ongoing mission, you can go to our website, newlife.org. You can also freely subscribe there to a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading. So until next time, may His grace and peace be with you in abundance.